0: Mm Amen. If you have your Bible, take your copy of God's Word and open it to the Gospel of John. Picking up where we left off last week, we are in John chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 20 through 26. You should have received a head of wheat when you came in today. Hold on to that. You're going to need it before we're finished. But for now, John 12, verse 20. I read an article not long ago by a pastor in Louisiana, and he said, if you take those two words, only Jesus, and just those two words, they are, quote, a sky full of more stars than we can ever count. That is so true. For example, Only Jesus was born of a virgin. Only Jesus was the Word become flesh. Only Jesus lived a sinless life. Only Jesus taught as Jesus taught. Only Jesus performed the miracles that Jesus performed. Only Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. And only Jesus rose again and therefore Only Jesus is Lord. Only Jesus has the power to save. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus can give us peace and hope in this life and forevermore. We could go on and on talking about those two words. Only Jesus. The prophecies only Jesus fulfilled. The claims only Jesus could make. This morning, we're going to look in our Scripture at some things that only Jesus can do, Jesus and no one else. We've been studying the Gospel of John, and when we come to chapter 12, it is the week before Passover. And that means that Jesus has mere days left in his earthly life and ministry. Within days, he will lay down his life on the cross. And you know, when someone only has days left, It seems like every day, every hour, and even every minute becomes all the more precious. And so it was in John chapter 12, and it was during this precious time, these final days, that some Greeks came to Jerusalem to worship. And while they were there, the Bible tells us in our text that they came to one of the disciples and they said that they wanted... To meet Jesus. Jesus responded to their request by talking about some things that he is going to do and some things that only he can do, some things that can only be said of him. Now, there are four things in particular I want you to notice in this passage. I want you to notice the need only Jesus can meet. The need only Jesus can meet. Look at verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. You know, there are many things we don't know about these Greeks, We don't know their names. We don't know how many there were. We don't know where they were from. We know that they were Gentiles. They were not Jews, but they had come to Jerusalem, to the Passover, to worship. That tells us something. That tells us that they were seeking. That tells us that they had this desire to know God. In a world full of idols and pagans, they wanted to know the one Creator God who promised to send a Savior, a Messiah, into this broken world. We know that they first came to Philip, one of the disciples, and they said to him in verse 21, We wish to see Jesus. That verb tense implies that they asked him again and again and again, which is why some translations will even say that they begged Jesus. When can we see Jesus? We want to see Jesus. Please let us see Jesus. Well, Philip, he doesn't know what to do with these guys. And so he goes to Andrew and says, Andrew, um, these guys really are persistent, but I don't know. They are Greeks after all. Do you really think we should waste Jesus' time with them? Well, Philip may not have known what to do, but Andrew knew exactly what to do. He does what he always does. The text does not explicitly tell us that Andrew brought them to Jesus, but I believe that is heavily implied. In fact, did you know that every time Andrew appears in the Scriptures, this is what he's doing. He's always bringing someone to Jesus. That's why Andrew is my favorite disciple, and I can't wait to get to heaven and tell him that in person. He's always bringing people to Jesus. Now, I do have a theory about these men. You remember the story when Jesus cleansed the temple, and he came in, and he overthrew the tables of the money changers, and then he threw out all of the merchants, and he said, you've turned my father's house into a a den of thieves. Do you remember where that was? Do you remember where that took place? not just in the temple, that happened, the Bible says, in the Gentile court. It happened in that place that had been set aside for the Gentiles so that they would have a place to worship. Well, these Greeks, these Gentiles, had come all the way to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, and I think that these men thought to themselves... We want to meet that man who got mad and decided to do something when we came all this way and we didn't have a place to worship. We want to meet that man who's looking out for us. Well, John chooses not to tell us a lot about these men. He doesn't tell us how the conversation went. He doesn't tell us whether they immediately became followers of Jesus because that's not John's point. His point is even though they were Gentiles, even though they were outside of Israel, even though they did not have the scriptures, even though they did not have the covenant, they had this desire to know God and to worship God, and so they went to Jesus. That is John's point. And we're going to see in a moment Jesus was so moved by their request that he immediately responds by speaking of himself actually dying so that they can be saved. And whether or not these Greeks realized it at the time, but they went to that one place and they went to the one and only person who could meet the greatest need in their life their need for forgiveness, their need for salvation, their need for eternal life. And only Jesus can meet that need in your life today. Now that leads to a second thing that only Jesus can do. We also see the price only Jesus can pay. Look at verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, notice those words, the hour has come. We understand that this hour that Jesus is referring to, it is not a literal hour. He's referring to that time when he will be revealed as the Messiah, which leads to his suffering and his death. The hour is his appointment with the cross. He will die, and then he will be glorified, he says, but not by some kind of political revolution, which is what they were hoping for. No, he will be glorified by his resurrection from the dead. Now, we remember what happened in John chapter 2 when Jesus turned the water into wine. You remember what Jesus said to his own mother. He said, my hour has not yet Until now, that has always been Jesus' reply. The hour has not yet come. But then we get to John chapter 12, and when these Greeks asked if they could meet Jesus, now, he says, my hour has come. Verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, In the Greek, it literally says, amen, amen, I say to you, a phrase Jesus uses when what follows is of supreme importance. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus uses an illustration they were all familiar with you know, a single grain of wheat by itself, just one grain, it's so small, it can't do much, can't feed many people with it. In fact, did you know that there, was, uh, there were thir- uh, 3,000-year-old grains of wheat that were found in the tombs of the pharaohs, and those 3,000-year-old grains of wheat hadn't changed one bit. Well that's why Jesus said unless it falls to the ground it remains alone it remains just one seed but if you take that one seed and you plant it in the ground what happens it will die it will die to itself but then something happens take a look at this that one seed it is planted it is transformed it grows roots And then a shoot sprouts up from the ground and it becomes a stem, which becomes a head of wheat. Now you have something, but even that is just the beginning because if you take that head of wheat and if you take those grains and you repeat the process again and again, eventually you have an entire field that is ready for harvest. And now many people can be fed, many people can be filled, but it all started with that one Grain that had to die. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, what is he talking about? He's talking about himself. He is the grain that must fall. He must die. His body must be placed in the ground. He will be raised in glory. And this is why Jesus responded to the Greeks in this way. He said, if that seed dies, it produces much grain, that grain that died in Jerusalem when Jesus died on the cross. It led to a harvest in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so these Greeks in John chapter 12 who wanted desperately to meet Jesus, they represent that future harvest, that harvest of souls in which peoples from all of the nations will know Jesus and love Jesus. That's why Jesus was moved the way that he was. That's why he said that his hour had come, and that's why he had to die. The Bible says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. Only Jesus could pay that price. Only His death produces life. Only Jesus was the perfect, sinless Son of God, and therefore only Jesus could go to the cross and exchange His innocence for our guilt when He took our place and died for us there. Only His sacrifice was valuable enough. Only His blood was precious enough And no one else could do that for you. Only Jesus would do that for you. We see the need that only Jesus can meet. We see the price that only Jesus can pay. And that leads to the response. Only Jesus can merit. Look again at the end of verse 24. But if it dies, it produces Much grain. Watch what Jesus does. He takes that illustration about the grain and the wheat, and he applies it in two different ways. It is a picture of what happened to him when he died on the cross, but it is also a picture of what is required of us. Look at verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Some people have called this the great gospel paradox. And this is a theme that shows up again and again in the gospels. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, the first will be last. He who would be great must be a servant. If we want to live, we must die. And everything that Jesus is saying here in verse 25 is the exact opposite of how this world works. It's the exact opposite of how this world thinks. Jesus said, he who loves his life. Now, who is this person that he's referring to? The one who loves his life. This is the person who promotes self, the person who makes self-promoting self, pleasing self, serving self the highest priority in life. This is the person who chooses the temporary pleasures of this world instead of God. You know what this is? This is the YOLO mentality. You only live once. You know what this is? He who loves his life? This is Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my way. There's the person who loves this life, and Jesus said he who loves his life will lose it. The one who follows this path eventually loses everything. One day the earthly life will end and all the pleasures it has will be over, and the only thing left is eternity separated from God. On the other hand... Jesus said, there's the man who hates his life in this world. A lot of people struggle with this. What does this mean? Who is Jesus referring to? Who is this person who hates his life? I'll tell you what it does not mean. Jesus is not talking about the person who hates being alive. He's not talking about the person who looks in the mirror and they just hate everything about themselves. No, this word, hate, in the first century, it meant to strongly prefer something else or someone else. That word to hate meant to prefer someone or something else so strongly that everything else is like hatred. In comparison, this is a wholly inadequate illustration. But, for example, I love asparagus. I really do. Anybody else? Am I the only one? I probably the only one. I love asparagus. Compared to ice cream, I hate it. There's a a, a love that I have that can make all other things feel like hatred, but in this case, the person who hates his life is the person who prefers Jesus and loves Jesus so that every other love in his life is like hatred in comparison. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 10 when he said, He who loves his father or mother or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is what Jesus meant in Luke chapter 14 when he said If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Listen to me carefully. Jesus is not saying that you ought to literally hate your earthly family. He's talking about a willingness to give up everything to follow Christ, your family included if necessary. And he is describing what happens when Jesus is Lord of your life. Just like Jesus had to be like that seed and had to literally die on the cross, there is also a sense in which we must die. This isn't necessarily physical death but this is a kind of death. This means surrendering your life to the rule and the reign of Christ. It's this initial act of surrender when you are saved, and then it is followed by a lifestyle of surrender, a lifestyle in which you surrender your rights and you surrender your will. I'm going to be honest with you. What I'm describing, it's uncomfortable It's painful. Sometimes this means giving up things that in your flesh you don't want to give up. And sometimes it means doing things that in your flesh you do not want to do. Sometimes it means someone strikes you, and yes, you turn the other cheek. And sometimes it means loving your enemies. And sometimes it means forgiving someone who has wronged you, terribly. It means we seek his kingdom and not ours. His righteousness and not ours. And if everything I'm describing to you, if this sounds like, if this feels like dying, you know what? It is. It's a form of dying in which we continually die to self. And by the way, Since I am here, please let me just add, any preaching that you hear anywhere, in any church, online, social media, TV, the radio, any preaching you hear that does not call you to die to self is not the gospel. Don't you listen. Somebody might say, Pastor, dying to self... Hating one's life. that just seems hard. I don't know if I can do that. Well, I have some good news for you. When you place your faith in Christ, you don't do these things in your strength. It's not our strength, but His strength in us. Paul said to the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. As we follow Christ He supplies the power. He enables us to do those things we could never do otherwise. He enables us to become the people that God created us to be. Somebody else might object. Somebody else might say, Oh, but pastor, why would I even want to die to self? Why would I even want to hate my life? Because of what comes next? Jesus said, He who hates his life... In this world, will keep it for eternal life. The person who's willing to surrender this temporary life finds something better, just like that seed that is planted in the ground and it dies to itself and it rises up as something different, something altogether better. Likewise, that man or woman who follows Christ dying to self, they receive a new life a life that is full of peace and hope and love and joy and gladness and this new life, which is infinitely better. Guess what? It lasts forever. But this kind of life, it only comes out of death. You know, I am blessed to have a swimming pool, and I enjoy going for a swim from time to time, But I've got to tell you, it's January. And even in South Florida, I don't just jump into a cold swimming pool. But let me tell you what I will do. Even in January, on a bright, sunny, cloudless day, when the sun has been warming the pool all day long, I'll go out there in the afternoon around 3 or 4 o'clock, or if it's my off day, and you know what I'll do? I'll dip my toe in the water. <laughs> and I will see how it feels. If it's warm enough, I'll get in. And if it's not warm enough, I'll just go back inside. But let me tell you, I, I tell you this because I greatly fear fear That what I'm doing with my swimming pool in January is exactly what a lot of people are trying to do with Jesus. I'll stick my foot in the water. I'll see how it feels. I'll go to church a few times. I'll listen to a few sermons. I might even make a few changes in my life. And maybe if I like it, I will jump all the way in and follow Jesus. Maybe if you're honest, for some of you, that's been your mentality. And if that's you, let me just say, ladies and gentlemen, that's not repentance. That's not salvation. That is not a grain of wheat that falls to the ground, and dies and produces much fruit. And when we think about all that Jesus has done for us in light of his sacrifice for us, that's not the response that Jesus deserves. The only response that he merits is, I surrender all. Wherever he leads, I'll go. There's one more thing that we see in this text That's only true of Jesus. We see the blessings only Jesus can give. Look at verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Jesus calls us to die. He calls us to hate our lives. But then after that calling comes the reward. And when we look at verse 26, I want you to notice two blessings that come, two blessings that those who die to self can experience and enjoy. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. In other words, Follow my example as that grain that dies, and where I am. Here's the first blessing. Where I am, my servant will be also. The first blessing is simply being with Jesus. That's it. Being with Jesus, the one who created us, the one who loved us, the one who died for us, the one who saved us, just being with Jesus. I can't imagine anything greater than that. In fact, Jesus is what makes heaven heaven, the fact that he is there. And here's the second blessing. If anyone serves me, and man, every time I read this, it just blows my mind. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. You probably won't receive much honor from this world. You probably won't get much honor in this earthly life. And if you do, it's fleeting. More than likely, if you're following Christ, what you can expect is the opposite. But you know what? That won't matter one bit when that day comes and you hear God say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus said, my father will honor him. Can we just stop for a moment and let that sink in? For Can we just stop and consider how incredible is this thought that God, who's holy and almighty and all-knowing, that God would honor us, that he would honor us, That is a thought that is so amazing, I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of it. But in that moment when God honors you, no other title you've ever had will matter. And no other trophy you have ever received will matter. No degree that you have ever obtained will matter. Nothing else will matter in comparison when God honors you. Don't you ever forget that. Jesus laid down his life like a grain of wheat. that dies. It's buried. And Jesus said, your life is like that grain. I want you to do something for me. Hopefully you received a head of wheat when you came here today. I just want you to take it, first of all, and hold it up. Take that grain of wheat and just hold it. Now, I want you to quickly and quietly take that head of wheat, and I want you just to pull off one single grain, just one. And you know what? If you make a mess, that's fine. We'll clean the sanctuary. I want you to just take that one single grain, Grain of wheat. And when you pull it off, I want you to put it in the palm of your hand. You got it? Just place it right there. I want you to hold it out. I want you to look at it. Jesus said, this is your life. And you can do one of two things with it. You can try to hold on to it. In which case, Jesus said, you're going to lose it. Or you can be willing to die to self and surrender it and give that life to Jesus. And he said, you will have real life, eternal life, and abundant life. Listen to me carefully. If you want your life to be like this, Right here. And if you want your life to be like that, this right here must die. This is your life. What are you going to do with it? Would you join me as we pray? Our God, how we thank you for Jesus who was That grain of wheat that died, was buried, and was raised, glorified. And because Jesus loved us, and because He died for us, and because He rose again, now we can be a part of that great harvest of souls. A redeemed people who know You, and who love You, who've been saved. God, we thank You for that. I pray for those who are here today who they're still tightly holding on to that grain. They're tightly holding on to their lives. And they haven't yet come to that place of surrender in which they die to self and hate even their own life in comparison to their love of you and their choice of following Jesus. God, I pray for that man or woman who's here today who has never been saved, that this would be their day of salvation, that even now, as they consider what they're going to do, what their options are with that grain of wheat, which is their life, I pray that even now, you'd knock on the door of their heart, Lord, you'd convict them, show them their need of a Savior, that only Jesus can save. Only Jesus died for us and rose again. God, I pray that even now they would call upon him, confessing him as Lord, that this would be their born again moment. Father, I I pray for all of us here that you would show us exactly how we should respond. Show us, Lord, if there are any areas of our lives in which, practically speaking, we are not dying to self as we ought. Show us, Lord, so that we might confess, so that we might repent And show us, Lord, help us to examine our lives before we observe the Lord's Supper that we might do so in a manner that is worthy. Help us to examine ourselves, we pray even now in Jesus' name. With head still bowed and eyes still closed, we're going to take these next few moments and we're going to pray and ask God to search our hearts. And as God, through His Spirit, reveals those things that you need to surrender to Him, we invite you to do that even now. If there's that area of life where you're not dying to self, if there's that part of your life that that you need to surrender to him afresh and anew, in these moments, as as God's people are praying, we invite you to do that. And for some of you here today, you need to decide what you're going to do with that grain, what you're going to do with your life, how you're going to respond to Jesus' death and resurrection. Are you going to hold on to that seed Or are you going to take it and offer it to him? Are you willing to say today, Jesus, all that I am, all that I have, I give to you. I will follow you. I believe in you. I need you to save me now. Now, with heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, I wonder, is there anybody here today that would say, that's exactly what I need to do, pastor. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to be saved. Because until now, I've been that person who loves their life. The one who will lose it. That's me. But today, I want to offer my life to him. And I need to be saved. Anybody that just by raising a hand would say, Pastor, that's me. I need to take that step. Today, I'm ready. I want to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord of my life for the very first time. Anybody would be so bold to say, Yep, that's me. Just by raising a hand. If you're watching online, I can't see you raise your hand. So I need you to do me a favor. You're going to see a phone number that's on the screen. If you will send a text message to that number and let us know who you are, if you'll just text your name and you'll get a a link. If you click on that link, please fill it out. Let us know if you're taking a step of faith today. Uh, Let us know if if you want more information, what it means to be a follower of Christ. If you want to make an appointment, if you want to just continue the conversation, you can do that as well. But it's real simple. The number is 305. 24-7 pray. Real easy to remember. We live in the 305. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we can pray. 24-7 pray. If you reach out to us at that number, we will respond to you. And we'd love to tell you more about how you can know Jesus, how you can experience this glorious life. We're going to take these next few moments. We're going to pray individually. By the way, at the end of the service, if you want to know more, if you need prayer, if I can minister you, you come and let me know. You want more information, you come, and we'll continue the conversation. But right now, let's take a moment and pray in the silence of our hearts. Ask God to prepare us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And then after we pray, we'll continue. We will celebrate together.